This is day 55 of our daily Bible reading. We will be going through 2 Samuel chapters 4 through 8. Lord Heavenly Father, you are a God of love, you are a God of mercy, you are a God of compassion and grace, but Lord, you are also a God of justice and a God of wrath, that we would not forget the whole picture of who you are, that you are not only good, but you are also righteous and just, Lord, that we may not shrink from that idea, but that we may embrace it fully and love you even more for it. That we may keep this in mind as we go through our days, that we hold ourselves accountable as you hold us in account for everything we do. Lord God, please bless us as we read your word today. Please cleanse us of all sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Now when Ishbosheth, Saul's son, heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost courage, and all Israel was disturbed. Saul's son had two men who were commanders of bands. The name of the one was Baana, and the other Rechab, sons of Ramon the Berathite, of the sons of Benjamin. For Beeroth is also considered part of Benjamin. And the Berathites fled to Gitaim and had been aliens there until this day. Now Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened that in her hurry to flee, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. So the sons of Ramon the Berathite, Rechab and Baana, departed and came to the house of Ishbosheth in the heat of the day while he was taking his midday rest. They came to the middle of the house as if to get wheat, and they struck him in the belly, and Rechab and Baana his brother escaped. Now when they came into the house, as he was lying on his bed in his bedroom, they struck him and killed him and beheaded him. And they took his head and traveled by way of the Arabah all night. Then they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron, and said to the king, Behold, the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. Thus the Lord has given my lord the king vengeance this day on Saul and his descendants. David answered Rechab and Baana his brother, sons of Ramon the Berathite, and said to them, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all distress, when one told me, saying, Behold, Saul is dead, and thought that he was bringing good news, I seized him and killed him in Ziklag, which was the reward I gave him for his news. How much more when wicked men have killed a righteous man in his own house, on his bed, shall I not now require his blood from your hand and destroy you from the earth? Then David commanded the young men, and they killed them, and cut off their hands and feet, and hung them up beside the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the grave 
of Abner in Hebron. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. Previously, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and in. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel, and you will be a ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them before the Lord at Hebron. Then they anointed David king over Israel. David was thirty years old when he became king, and he reigned forty years. At Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned thirty-three years over all Israel and Judah. Now the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, and they said to David, You shall not come in here, but the blind and lame will turn you away, thinking, David cannot enter here. Nevertheless, David captured the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. David said on that day, Whoever would strike the Jebusites let him reach the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul, through the water tunnel. Therefore they say, The blind or the lame shall not come into the house. So David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from the Milo and inward. David became greater and greater, for the Lord God of hosts was with him. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David with cedar trees and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built a house for David. And David realized that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. Meanwhile, David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. Now these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shamua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphalet. When the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel. All of the Philistines went up to seek out David. And when David heard of it, he went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines came and spread themselves out in the valley of Rephaim. Then David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up. For I certainly give the Philistines into your hand. So David came to Baal Perazim and defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like the breakthrough of waters. Therefore he named that place Baal Perazim. They abandoned their idols there, so David and his men carried them away. 
Now the Philistines came up once again and spread themselves out in the valley of Rephaim. When David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go directly up. Circle around behind them and come at them in front of the balsam trees. It shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then you shall act promptly. For then the Lord will have gone out before you to strike the army of the Philistines. Then David did so, just as the Lord had commanded him, and struck down the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. Now David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts who is enthroned above the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart that they might bring it from the house of Abinadab which was on the hill, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart. So they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Ahio was walking ahead of the ark. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of fir wood and with lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and died there by the ark of God. David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, and that place was called Perez Uzzah to this day. So David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? And David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David with him. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. Thus the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him, on account of the ark of God. David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David, with gladness. And so it was that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the trumpet. Then it happened as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David that Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. 
So they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent which David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. When David had finished offering the burnt offering and the peace offering, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Further, he distributed to all the people, to all the multitude of Israel, both to men and women, a cake of bread and one of dates and one of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his own house. But when David returned to bless his household, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel distinguished himself today! He uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servants' maids, as one of the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore I will celebrate before the Lord. I will be more lightly esteemed than this, and will be humble in my own eyes. But with the maids of whom you have spoken, with them I will be distinguished. Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Now it came about when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within tent curtains. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. But in the same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Are you the one who should build me a house to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent, even in a tabernacle. Whenever I have gone with all the sons of Israel, did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel, which I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the names of the great men who are on the earth. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, 
I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him. As I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Then David the king went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house, that you have brought me this far? And yet this was insignificant in your eyes, O Lord God, for you have spoken also of the house of your servant concerning the distant future. And this is the custom of man, O Lord God. Again, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. For the sake of your word, and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness to let your servant know. For this reason you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what one nation on the earth is like your people Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, and to make a name for himself, and to do a great thing for you, and awesome things for your land, before your people whom you have redeemed for yourselves from Egypt, from nations and their gods. For you have established for yourself your people Israel as your own people forever. And you, O Lord, have become their God. Now therefore, O Lord God, the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and his house, confirm it forever, and do as you have spoken, that your name may be magnified forever, by saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And may the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made a revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are truth, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now therefore may it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing, may the house of your servant be blessed forever. Now after this, it came about that David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took control of the chief city from the hand of the Philistines. He defeated Moab and measured them with the line making them lie down on the ground. 
and he measured two lines to put to death and one full line to keep alive. And the Moabites became servants to David, bringing tribute. Then David defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rahab, king of Zobah, as he went to restore his rule at the river. David captured from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers. And David hamstrung the chariot horses, but reserved enough of them for 100 chariots. When the Aramaeans of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 Aramaeans. Then David put garrisons among the Aramaeans of, of Damascus, and the Aramaeans became servants to David, bringing tribute. And the Lord helped David wherever he went. David took the shields of gold, which were carried by the servants of Hadadezer, and brought them to Jerusalem. From Betah and from Berothai, cities of Hadadezer, King David took a very large amount of bronze. Now when Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of Hadadezer, Toy sent Joram, his son, to King David to greet him and bless him, because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. For Hadadezer had been at war with Toy. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. King David also dedicated these to the Lord, with the silver and gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued. From Aram and Moab, and the sons of Ammon, and the Philistines, and Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadadezer, son of Rahab, king in Zobah. So David made a name for himself when he returned from killing 18,000 Aramaeans in the Valley of Salt. He put garrisons in Edom, and all Edom he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became servants to David. And the Lord helped David wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and righteousness for all his people. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was over the army, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were priests. And Sariah was secretary. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were chief ministers. We now have the complete kingdom of Israel united under one banner, under David himself, that the Lord has established him in every way. Now, it's really sad to see that Saul's remaining family, beginning with Ishbosheth, were used as political pawns, because we see that he wasn't really part of the whole scheme. He was usually he was played into this role by Abner, the son of Ner, as being the political puppet. That because King Saul had died, that means that his sons should be the ones to succeed him. And in this case, the only one left was Ishbosheth. 
And so they forced him to be the king. And you don't really see him do much of anything. You see Abner pulling the strings behind. And so when Abner dies, then Ishbosheth gets murdered by a couple of men. And they think they're doing the world a favor by getting rid of this man because they want to give the kingdom over to David. But David's response to to them was the same that he did with the Amalekite. He's like, I don't know why you killed him. God establishes all leaders. And yet you chose to give me a false report that will somehow be a benefit to you. Like, doing evil is a good thing. So now I'm going to have to kill you. And so he kills him. But at that point, it jumpstarts the complete unification of Israel, which is what we see in chapter 5. We see that the people of Israel come to David at Hebron and say, hey, we are your people. You've been a shepherd to us since the time of Saul. We want you as king. And so you see for the first time a united Israel, a fully united Israel under one banner. And that's the banner of the Lord. It's not even David's banner. It's the banner of the Lord, because that's the way that David established it. He did all this through the power of God. He didn't rely on his own strength. He didn't have any personal selfish motives in this. He did everything he did for the Lord at this point. Not only that, but as soon as he became king, the first order of business is he's going to establish the government properly in a place that had not yet been conquered. There was one place in the middle of Israel that was left alone since the time of Joshua, and that was Jerusalem. The Jebusites could not be conquered at that time, and so David decided, you know what, it's time. It's time to conquer them. And so he went and he made quick work of them by going through the water supply because he saw that it was an excellent fortress city. It was, you know, on a hill, it was very defensible, and it was highly favored. And we know that throughout history, um, even outside the Bible, that Jerusalem is a very special place to God. And so God established his throne in Zion, which is the city of David, as well as in Jerusalem proper. And then you see the king of Tyre show honor and reverence to him by building him a house with all his skilled workers. And then David realized that the Lord has established him in Jerusalem and has made him truly the king. So his first order of business, once he realized that, he got a bunch of wives, which <laughs> we, we've talked about this one already, but come on, David. You don't need more wives or concubines. He had way too many. One is plenty. So then a lot of people wanted to pick a fight with him, and he beat every single one because the Lord was with him. Now we come to chapter 6, and this one seems like an interesting intermission. So he wants to bring God into the center of 
the government. He wants to bring God into the city of David, into Jerusalem, where God can take his throne as the leader of the people. So he thought the right course of action was to get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it to where he was. So they tried to do the best thing they could, and they put it on a brand new cart and carried it along and so on and so forth. But David didn't really understand what he was doing. And again, at a surface level, this may seem like God is being unfair, but let's, let's talk about this. So we see that Uzzah is kind of holding the cart from the rear, and the oxen are upsetted. They shake it, and they cause it to be unsteady, like the ark is going to fall over. And so Uzzah does the proper thing. He tries to reach over and grab it and steady it. Now, I firmly believe that God did that on purpose with the oxen, that he upset the oxen so that they will shake the ark and cause this to happen. And as soon as Uzzah touched it, zap, he was dead. Why? Because it says clearly in the law of Moses that there's a proper way to handle these furnitures as well as the ark itself, that they have poles that you're supposed to insert into the rings, and only particular Levites are supposed to carry this in anywhere you go. They're not supposed to be putting it on a cart, nor are they supposed to do it any other way. It has to be this prescribed way in respect to God. And God's standard never changed, even though David probably didn't know about this. Uzzah obviously didn't know that he couldn't touch the ark, but he did, and he got killed because God's standard is perpetual. It's eternal. Were they ignorant to it? Yes. But regardless, his rules are his rules, and he's not going to change his mind, and he's not going to go easy on people. Because if he does, then he would be partial. He would be picking favorites. Or he would not be consistent. And someone who's inconsistent, flip-flopping, changing their mind, that's no God. That's not moral perfection. So he's morally perfect, therefore everyone is held accountable, whether out of ignorance or otherwise. So when David was celebrating already, he had already been celebrating, yeah, we're taking this thing home. And then this happens, and David got angry. He got angry at the Lord for this. And he was afraid. He's like, what did I do wrong, Lord? What did I do? How can I take the ark of the Lord with me? Obviously, I did something, and, and God's mad at me. So he left it in the house of Obed-Edom, and his house was blessed. We don't really know what in what way it was blessed, but apparently something obvious was happening where Obed-Edom's house was being blessed. And that's when they went and told David three months later, hey, Obed-Edom's getting blessed, so obviously God's not angry. And so David got excited again. He's like, okay, I want to do this the right way. So it says that the bearers of the ark had been going with the ark. 
So it looks like he looked up, okay, how am I supposed to move this thing? Let me go to the scrolls real quick. Okay, Law of Moses says, uh, Ark of the Covenant, where are you at? Okay, here. Oh, we're supposed to carry it on poles through the rings. We're not supposed to. Oh, okay. I got you, Lord. We're going to do this the right way. And then so David did, and, and he was successful in bringing it to Jerusalem. And he was dancing so hard, literally whirling around, just giving everything that he could. Now, in a more conservative church, like a Baptist church, like where I come from, people dancing around is not something you commonly see. But let's be clear that dancing is not wrong in this context. Because he is just dancing. He's just doing everything he can to worship the Lord. People worship the Lord in different ways. Some people are quiet when they worship. Some people like to raise their hands. People like to close their eyes and dance around, sway. You know, some people just like to pray. Some people like to shout things, Amen, Lord! You know, or things, you know, you know everyone has different styles. And they're, none of them are wrong, but... God looks at the heart. Because if you're doing it to showboat and you're just doing it to, you know, get attention on yourselves, then there's something very wrong with that. But in this case, David was dancing with all his might before the Lord. He was just so excited he couldn't contain himself. And so he danced and he danced and he danced like he's never danced before. His wife, Michal, saw it. And she thought he was just embarrassing himself. Maybe he wasn't the best dancer. <laughs> I don't know. Or that she just thought, well, this behavior is not fitting of a king. So when he got home, she let him have a piece of her mind. Oh, look what I saw today. I see the king of Israel distinguished. He's, un he's just dancing around, getting all crazy in front of all these ladies. And you're okay with that. And David's like, woman, this was before the Lord. He chose me. And I like how he threw this in, almost like a passive-aggressive remark. He chose me over your father and above all your house. <laughs> Whoa, low blow there, man. But he's not wrong. But hey, I'm dancing before the Lord. He obviously didn't like your family, so he, but he does like me. So he appointed me ruler. So I'm going to celebrate before the Lord because it says that he tells her, I will be more lightly esteemed than this and will be humble in my own eyes. But with the maids of whom you have spoken, with them I will be distinguished. David was quite willing to be lowly esteemed and humbled because he realized that it's the Lord that exalts people. He recognized this. He knows that God exalts people. He exalted him. He was a simple shepherd that is now king over all united Israel. And apparently this bitterness and this anger um, runs in the family, right? Because she is the daughter of Saul. Saul had a, a mean streak to him. And she seemed to have inherited that from him. And because of her bitterness and her um, her sass, disrespect to her husband, uh, the Lord chose to close her womb, and she never had any children. 
perhaps that's for the best. Then we see chapter 7, a very beautiful chapter. Because David is now at peace. The nation of Israel is at peace. And David wants to have a house built for the Lord, a temple. And Nathan's like, go for it, man. The Lord will bless you. But then Nathan gets a word from the Lord saying, hang on. That's not what I want. He's not going to build me a house. But someone in your family will build me a house. I've been in tents for a very long time with your people, for hundreds of years. Why would you want to build me a house? I'm not a man that needs to live in a house. I'm God. I'm everywhere. I'm omnipresent. Why would you want to build me a house? Well, let me tell you this, David. I'm going to build you a house. Your family is going to be king over Israel forever. So no matter what happens at this point, your descendants will perpetually be enthroned over Israel. And you just see David's response is like, and this is one of my favorite verses as well, and it's a constant reminder when I just realize how blessed I am. And how far the Lord has taken me and how much mercy and grace and compassion he showed on me throughout my life when I obviously don't deserve it. And this, I, I think of this verse often. In verse 18, David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? I think of it often because Really, he's like, why me, Lord? Why have you been so kind to me? And what is my house, my family? Why have you been so good to my family that you've brought us this far? And really, it's for his own good pleasure. I don't understand it. I know that the Lord always wants to do good to his people. But sometimes he shows favor to some, to people more than others. And sometimes he does amazing things with people that not everyone gets that opportunity. And I recognize that I've been given opportunities in my life that some people never get. And I don't want to take that for granted. And so often when I feel humbled and I feel thankful for the things God has done for me, I think of this verse, who am I and why is my house that you have brought me this far? And David is so excited to hear that the Lord will honor him in this way. And he knows that God will keep his promise. And he recognizes that the Lord is great. There is none like him. There is no God beside you. According to all that we have heard with our ears, it doesn't even require faith at this point. It's just like it says in Romans chapter 1 that God has made himself clearly known. It's not obscure. It's not cloudy. It's not hard to find. God has made himself clearly known through his creation and through his dealings with men. And he recognized that. And he thanked the Lord for giving him such an honor. If we look historically, 
the nation of Israel doesn't last forever. In fact, it's very fragile. But David's line continues to rule from Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah, for a time. But not forever. Because if we know our history, there's going to be a time where they are conquered. And when they are conquered, they will no longer be in the land. And so if the Israelites are not in Israel, how are you supposed to have kings? So if God is declaring that there will always be a person of David's family on the throne, doesn't that seem like a contradiction if there was no king in Israel for a very long time, thousands of years? Even in modern history, it was in the early 20th century that the, the nation came back together as a nation, as a country of Israel. Before that, there was a couple thousand years without anybody in Israel. So, is that a contradiction? No, because who is the completion of this statement that God is making, this covenant? It's Jesus Christ, right? Because it says when we go and meet Mary and Joseph, that they are both from the line of David. And this is important for two reasons. For one, this is to fulfill the prophecy, but also Joseph is not his biological father, remember? Mary gave birth to Jesus as a virgin birth. So it's important that Mary is in the line of David too, because biologically, she is the only heritage that truly counts. And if you noticed as well, and you look in the, the Gospels, look at the book of Matthew. If you look at the genealogy that's mentioned in the book of Matthew, this is Joseph's line, the proper patriarchal style of, of genealogy. But whenever you go to the book of Luke, and you look at the genealogy there, the names are different. And is this a contradiction? No, it's not. Because that genealogy that Luke is referring to is actually Mary's genealogy, tracing back Mary's genealogy to David, and further back than that, all the way to Adam. So what's very interesting is that God designated both Mary who, to be related to David, for a fulfillment of this prophecy, but also Joseph, so that in the in the eyes of a proper Jewish person, he is legitimate as well. So God knew exactly what he was doing when he did this, and he fulfilled this in the person of Jesus Christ. And as we know, Jesus Christ died and rose again, and he is king forever. He is king of kings, lord of lords. He is our perpetual high priest. He's our advocate. He's everything to us. And he's from the line of David. And he will be king forever. So there you go. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this promise to David himself. Because his rule has no boundaries. And he is king forever. And that is awesome to recognize. 
So I challenge you today, last thing to close is, this was a promise that God made to David, and he made it come true. What promises has God made in your life? Maybe he hasn't whispered them to you personally, but he has hundreds of promises in his word that we have to bear in mind all the time. Especially when things get hard, when things get difficult, we have to remember the promises that God has made to us in his word. It's important that we know who God is and what he has said in his word as step number one. Because if you want to be greater than what you are, if you want to grow in knowledge of Christ, if you want to be used in a strong way, you have to conquer step one first. You have to meet him in his word. You have to meet him in prayer. You have to know what he says in his word. And when you have that, then he starts showing you stuff in the real world, in actuality, day to day. He starts teaching you because you're seeking him. Will you seek him today? If you're not, if you are, don't stop the seeking. Don't grow weary of doing what's right. But that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan. And we'll see you next time. Take care and God bless you.